All right. Well, let's go to John chapter 20. And uh, we're going to talk tonight about uh, post-resurrection events. Post-resurrection events. Post-resurrection events. And uh, what you have to do is you have to put the gospel accounts together to get a complete picture of, well, really, any event of Scripture, you know, as it pertains to the life and ministry of Jesus, you have to, if you just study Matthew's account, you won't get the full picture of what happened. Or if you just study Mark's account or Luke or John, you won't get the entire picture You'll just get part of it. It's like looking at a mountain. If you just look at the northern exposure of the mountain, you'll see the mountain, but you won't get what's on the southeast or the west. You have to look at the the mountain from all sides. And, and, and it's really true with, uh, uh, with the post-resurrection events. Usually, you know, we study, we come up to Easter, you know, and we have... Uh, uh, the resurrection and Jesus being raised from the dead. And then we seldom ever talk about what happened after that. And so I want to take tonight and see how far we get with this. We may conclude it next Wednesday if I don't get it all done. But we're going to have to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get the full picture, you see. Now, you need to realize that scholars have disputed the chronological order of the you know, post-resurrection events for the last 2,000 years. And... Uh, supposed contradictions have been made uh, not on the important crucial truths that the resurrection indeed happened and that Jesus appeared to many eyewitnesses, but the contradictions have been supposed and brought up on non-crucial issues like how many women came to the tomb, did all the women come to the tomb together at the same time, how many angels were in the tomb. Uh, now, we know there's no contradiction in the Bible. You understand that. And you need to realize that if we had been there and it, had we observed every last event that took place and saw everything that happened to each person, all the gospel ac- accounts as to the post-resurrection events would be crystal clear. You understand that? Crystal clear. Uh, but you, you need to realize this, if each gospel account, because sometimes it's frustrating when you're, when you're reading and, you know, it, you know and, I, and I've said, well, wouldn't it be nice if just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all said, said everything the exact same way? And, uh, but, you know, if they would have done it that way, critics would have said that they would have just copied off of one another. Okay? So, uh, actually, we should be glad that the gospel accounts don't give the exact same details of each account because critics, that would just arm the critics to say, well, they just copied off of one another. But you see, actually, as I've studied this, the way the gospel accounts are given, if studied rightly, are more believable and powerful than if these post-resurrection events would have been uh, given just simply stated, you know. So I'm going to give you here in my own words, before we go to John 20, I'm going to give you in my own words of sort of what happened. uh, And then we'll pick up in John 20. 
And as I studied for many, many hours on this, putting this together, uh, Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And then early on Sunday, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and several other women go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices, you know. And they were wondering how they were going to remove the stone, you know, that large stone. Now, before they arrived at the tomb, an angel descended from heaven. There was an earthquake. The angel removed the stone from the door of the tomb and sat on it. The guards fell like dead men because of fear. And, you know, the guards, you know, in the process of time, they were eventually paid a large sum of money to lie about the events of the resurrection when they saw the angel descend and roll the stone away, you know. Anyway, the women then arrive at the tomb. Uh, Angels then instruct the women to go, and I'm just putting this in my own words, the angels instruct the women to go tell the disciples that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that they would see him in Galilee. And when Peter and John find out, they have a race, really, they they run to the tomb. Notice in John 20, verse 1, first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, okay, first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and of course we know there were other women that came with her as well, but John just mentions her, went to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now, one of the uh, gospel accounts makes reference to after the sun arose. In this one, John says while it was still dark. And you see people want to come in there and spend hours arguing as to, well, one says it was still dark. The other account, gospel account, said the sun had risen. When you study it out, the women left. It was still dark when they left. But by the time they got to the tomb, the sun had come up. Do you you understand? It'd be like if I was going to play golf somewhere and tee-off time was 7 a.m., I'd probably have to leave my house while it was still dark, right? And then I'd I'd get to the golf course, 7 o'clock, by the time I tee off, now the sun is up. Well, those are some of the supposed contradictions that people, you know, find. Like I think in Matthew's account, he mentions one angel, and then some of the other gospel accounts mention that that there were other angels and 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 there I think there were more there no question in my mind there were there were other angels there evidently there was one sitting on the stone and there's probably two of them inside the tomb you know one was sitting on the door and there was two of them evidently inside the tomb and depending on which gospel account you're reading at the time will leave you thinking well there was one angel well, there's two I think there was one on the stone, two in the tomb. You understand? But we, we need not spend our time arguing about all of that stuff. You understand? The important thing is that all the gospel accounts give us the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and there were numerous eyewitnesses. You understand? But nonetheless, here we go. First day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, that was John. 
and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. The other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a piece by its, in a, I'm sorry, in a place by itself. Now, if I had the time, there's a significant thing about that, that, that handkerchief that had been around his head, uh, folded together in a place by itself. And if you studied it out, whenever that cloth was folded in that manner, and John Heggie did a real good presentation on this one time, uh, but that cloth folded there by itself indicated that the person that left was coming back, you see. And we know Jesus is going to come back again, you know. So that a lot of significance there. See, if you just read real fast and you, you don't pick up these kinds of things. But there was a significance to the way that that cloth was folded. You ought to do some study on that, if you like. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now it's interesting. So, so Mary tells Peter and John, they run to the tomb. And then all this happens and they go back home to their own homes. See, And now in verse 11, Mary evidently, she comes, you know, she arrives at the tomb. They probably outran her and got there before she got there, you know. But now she shows up. And uh, now she had been there earlier. Now she, and, and, and the angels spoke to her. Now she's there again. John and Peter have, have gone home. John twenty eleven. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now that's the way the new King James says it. But if you look at verse 17 in the King James... If you look at verse 17 in the King James, and notice how it reads. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Now there's, two, there's, there's a couple of views on this. Some hold to the way the King James says it, that Jesus just said, Don't cling to me, you know, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. In other words, don't cling to me, I need to ascend to my Father, which would indicate that she touched him. You understand? The King James brings out where he said, Touch me not. And good scholars, 
argue it both ways. Some say that she, you know, grabbed a hold of his feet or whatever and wouldn't let him go or was just clinging to him, hugging him or whatever and wouldn't let him go. And others hold to the way the King James says it. Now, personally, I, I like the way the King James says it because it fits the Old Testament type. It fits the Old Testament type because, you see, after the high priest offered the animal sacrifice on the altar, nothing impure was to touch him before he presented that blood in the Holy of Holies, you see. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, tells us Jesus did that in heaven, that he went into the heavenly Holy of Holies, you know, with his own blood and offered once and for all his holy blood as a sacrifice and so on. You understand that. And so, you know, there again, people want to argue this back and forth. Well, did Jesus, did she touch Jesus here or not? I tend to believe that she didn't, that she was going to, but he said, touch me not for I'm not yet ascended to my father. And it fits that Old Testament type just, just perfectly. Anyway, verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. See, she went to him and well, up here above, she went to him and said that, you know, hey, I've been to the tomb and they've taken the Lord away and I don't know where they've taken him. Now she's going back and she's saying that she had spoken, that, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, at some point, look at Matthew 28, verse 9. At some point, Jesus appears to the other women who were at the tomb, who the angel spoke to as well. And, and this is where, as I studied this, this is one of the main sticking points where critics come in and say, you know, here's a contradiction. If you got into this and studied the chronologicalness of all of this, this is one place where they argue that, you know, the Bible's contradictions in the Bible. But as I, as I studied it, I know this, there's no contradiction in the Bible. Do you agree with that? No contradiction. And so had we been there and had we seen, every, like I said earlier, had we seen everything just the way it played out, all of this would make perfect sense. You understand? But notice at some point, now whatever that point was, wherever it, wherever it occurred, Jesus appears to these other women. You see? And as they went, this is Matthew 28, 9. Matthew 28, 9. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now here, it's clear that they hold him by the feet and worship him and he does not tell them not to do it. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. You see. So Jesus doesn't forbid these people from touching him so he must have already then between the time that Mary was going to touch him and he forbade her forbid her to do it see I've been studying the King James this afternoon forbade her forbid her to touch him somewhere between then and this time evidently he ascended and presented his blood and uh, it was accepted certainly by the father and now these ladies touch him and, and it's all right Again, people will come in there and argue about as to how correct I am on my statement there, but I feel comfortable with it. Anyway, uh, then in the process of time, in Luke 24, verse 13, let's go over there. 
Luke 24, verse 13. Now, I know I give you a lot of Scripture, but I just want to encourage you. You know, we need Scripture. You see, we need that, dear friends. We, we, please, please trust me. You need more than me just standing up giving a pep talk on Wednesday night. You hear me? We need to read the Scripture. Luke 24, verse 13. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village. Now, this is the day Jesus was raised from the dead. Two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they've got these two guys walking along, two disciples. And their eye, Now notice this, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now much much there's been many questions about why this is the case why didn't they recognize him well the bible says their eyes were restrained well explain that pastor i can't why didn't mary recognize jesus at first and then she did explain it i can't i can tell you what i think i mean one of the reasons the last time she saw him, he had been beaten unrecognizable as a man, and now there he is. I mean, that's one, one thing you could say. You know, some, some say that she didn't recognize him at the tomb there at first because he was at a distance, and it was, it wasn't, it, you know, it was, it was still kind of dark out. I, you know, there's all kinds of reasons that people have, have made. I don't really know why she didn't recognize him at first, and you know what? I really don't care. What difference does it make? Huh? What difference does it make? But she recognized him eventually. And like right here, is why didn't they know him? Well, what does the Bible say? Their eyes were restrained. What does that mean? Don't know. Just know they couldn't recognize him. I can tell you what I think, and we'll see it as it plays out here. Now he said to them, verse 17, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, they wanted him to do it right then and set up his earthly kingdom right then. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third, see, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Well, that lines up with everything we've said. Now, look at verse 24. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not. But they did not. But him they did not see. Well, we know that Peter and John went to the tomb, right? And him they did not see. Then Mary came after and saw him. You see, verse twenty-five. 
Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's interesting. One reason that their eyes were restrained, that they did not know him, may have had, to ha- may have had something to do with the fact that he wanted them to believe the scripture. He wanted them to believe because the scripture said it, not because they saw something. Did, did you hear what I just said? They wanted, he, Jesus wanted them to believe because of what the scripture said, not because they saw something. It's interesting the approach that Jesus takes here. Look at this. Verse 26, Ought not to Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, notice this, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's interesting that Jesus didn't walk up there and say, Hey guys, look, it's me. This proves the word is true. He didn't do that, did he? He wanted them to believe the Bible. He wanted them to believe the scripture apart from seeing anything. See, faith, what is, faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus is pleased when we believe just because it is written. And you see what he's doing? He's beginning at Moses and all the prophets, expounding to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He's not saying, hey guys, look, it's me. This proves the Bible's true. No, he's, his, that's not how he approaches it. He approaches it from the word, from believe the word, believe the scripture. Anyway, verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward... Notice it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then Now notice, now their eyes were opened, and they knew him. How do you explain that? Don't know. Their eyes were opened. And he vanished from their sight. Now, some argue that, that it was because of the way Jesus served or, or ate at the table. That could be. Could be. But the Bible says their eyes were open. They knew him. And he vanished from their sight. He's gone. He's gone. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up. That And I notice that. Their heart, was, their spirit was... Was, was burning within them. You know, what, you, you know, you understand that? While he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. Now, something you need to realize here in verse 34 you ought to read that in NIV sometime maybe we can put it up there in the NIV and notice is it now when these guys show up these two guys that had because doesn't the Bible say that they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon but in the NIV they got 
up and returned to uh, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those. No, I want verse thirty-four. It now notice they show up. Thank you. They show up and they said, "Is it true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon or to Peter?" So evidently, sometime earlier that day, scholars pretty much all agree on this. Sometime earlier that afternoon, Jesus appeared to Peter. Sometime earlier that day, he had appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And then when they came to tell the disciples that they had seen the Lord, then they're, because evident, evidently, evidently, as they're going along, maybe even as they came in the room, there, maybe there had been some talk that, you know, that Peter had seen the Lord earlier that day. And they're asking, they're inquiring, did Peter really see the Lord too? And then in verse 35, back to the New King James Version, verse 35, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. See, he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Some come in there and say that because of the way Jesus broke the bread, then they recognized that it was him. Could be some truth there, but the Bible says that their eyes were open. That's when those two disciples recognized Jesus. All right, anyway, let's go on here now. Are you getting anything out of this? This is interesting. All right. uh, Now, it's interesting as we look at Luke 24, verse 36. Luke 24, verse 36. Luke 24, verse 36. Now, as they said these things... Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Now, look at that. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Just standing there in their midst. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. You know, it's interesting. You know, you're going to see Thomas isn't with them here. Thomas is not with them in this this case. We'll see that. But, you know, Thomas wasn't the only one that doubted. And it's interesting, you know, as I've thought it myself. Boy, you know, wouldn't it be nice if the Lord just appeared to me? And I've had people say, well, if the Lord appeared to me, then I'd believe. Look, the Lord's appearing to these people and there's still doubts in their heart. He's just just appearing right in their midst and there was still doubts in their heart. Actually, they had some of them doubted right up to the time when they was watching him go up. (laughs) Can you see that seeing is not what we should rely on to have faith? It's what the Word says. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Well, notice he was in the glorified body, wasn't he? His spirit was in his glorified body. Flesh and bone. Where was his blood? It had been spilled at Calvary, you know. It had been presented at the mercy seat. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled 
fish, broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. So the, he ate with his glorified body. Now look at John 20, verse 19. John 20, verse 19. John 20, verse 19. Is, this is John's account of what we just read in Luke 24, Jesus appearing. Let's see what John has to say about it. Then the same day at evening. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples... Let me start over. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, so also I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, this is when they got born again, right here. Because later he tells them to go into Jerusalem and wait there until they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And people have asked me about that over the years. What does this mean right here? Well, it's very clear. This is when they got born again. Actually, that word breathed in verse 22 appears only twice in all the Bible. It appears in uh, the Genesis, in the book of Genesis, when God breathed. When God breathed into man and he was born, you know. And then he breathed again here and man's born again. I thought that's pretty cool. But anyway, this is, where, this is not where they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is where they got born again. This is where the Spirit of God took up residency on the inside of them. You, you understand that? And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Now, you understand that, that, that ministers of the gospel have no power to forgive sins. That's not what Jesus said there. Did you hear me? If you make a thorough study of this, what he's saying is this. If you preach the gospel... And, and a sinner hears it and they receive Jesus as their Savior, then their sins will be forgiven. If they refuse to believe in Jesus and receive the gospel, then their sins will be retained and they'll not be forgiven. But you see, uh, there's a lot of folk come in there and say, well, see, the priest has the power to forgive the sins. No, no, there's only one that has that power and that's the high priest, Jesus. But what he's talking about here is that if we preach the gospel, you understand that, and, and a sinner receives Jesus, then as a result of our preaching, they've received Christ and their sins are forgiven. If they refuse to receive Christ, then the sins remain. You okay? Nowhere can I find in the Bible that, that, that we're supposed to run to a priest and confess our sins and ask the priest to forgive us. We're supposed to run to the, to the high priest who is who? Jesus. You understand that? Now verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. See, he wasn't there on this occasion. 
The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Well, at least he was honest about it. Now look at John 20, verse 26. Skip down to verse 26. And after eight days, so eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Praise God. And... Uh, then, seven days later, Jesus appears to his disciples in uh, Galilee. I have a little more time. Let's go to John 21, verse 1. John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. See, we're looking at post-resurrection uh, accounts, things that happened after he was raised from the dead. A lot of people think after he was raised from the dead, came out of the tomb, he just went right back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, and that was it. But you can see there's a lot of other things took place. So after these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples, see Tiberius, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. So there were seven of them. Seven of them. And I believe John was one of them too. I believe he was one of the two others. You notice he doesn't call attention to himself. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going to go with you also. They went out and immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, actually, as you study into this, you've got to remember they had just been part of the most outstanding ministry that this earth has ever known. You need to realize that they saw miracles, signs and wonders, and... They saw the greatest, got to hear the greatest teaching. I mean, it was an, it was an exciting three and a half years. And uh, what are they going to do now? Jesus, yeah, he's risen from the dead. He's appeared to them, all right. But what are they going to do now? Well, they're supposed to be preachers, aren't they? Aren't they? But they're going to go back and go fishing. Now, some may argue that they just needed a little recreation, but I, I kind of think as I've studied this, it just seems to me like they're going to go back to fishing. 
Well, they're not supposed to be catching fish. They're supposed to be catching men, right? And isn't it interesting that that night they caught nothing? That night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Well, here we go again. Now, why didn't they know? Don't know. Maybe, maybe it was he was at a distance. I don't, you know. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that was John, It is the Lord. Well, you know, one thing you could say, Did this ever happen before? It had happened before, hadn't it? Huh? where they'd been catching all, they'd been fishing all night, caught nothing, and they, Jesus showed up in their life and told them where to go fishing, and they caught a lot of fish, right? And now, now you know, uh, they've gone back to fishing. They hadn't caught anything. Well, Jesus shows up, tells them what to do, and now they're going to catch some fish. We need to obey God, don't we? Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter... It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his undergarment, for he had removed it. He plunged into the sea. He jumps in the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for for they were not far from the land, and about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net, to land full of large fish, 153. Now, why does it say 153? Now, I still, to this day, I haven't studied it out, but I can tell you what I heard one time, is that if you study out all the different nationalities or kindreds or however you want to word it, they can all be grouped into 153 different groups. Do you understand that? Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That'd be something for, good for you to study, but I, I think that's worth noting. Peter went up, dragged the net, and it, well, why would the Bible say 153 fish? Uh, just to give us some piece of information? I think that could be, but I think that there's some spiritual significance there, possibly, that the gospel is open to anybody, no matter what their skin color, what their nationality. It's just the gospel's available, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. And then the end will come. And I say, and I say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Did you hear me? The Lord's going to be coming back soon. I said he's coming back soon. I said he's coming back soon. And will he find faith upon the earth? Will he find faith upon the earth? We'll pick up here next Wednesday night. Will he find faith upon the earth? You can turn the, uh, you can turn it off back there, Curtis. Praise God. Hallelujah. Will he-